You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey guys, good morning. Happy, happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you have joined us. And uh, today we've got a special service. Really cool story. We had a, uh, last year I taught a message about five of the most important words uh, that you could say to a child uh, for our fathers and our, our parents. And so those words were, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're good at, fill in the blank, and, and then uh, forgive me, uh, I'm sorry. And so uh, those five words right there uh, were the words that I communicated that we ought to share with our kids And I had the opportunity and the privilege uh, to hear a really cool story about a father sitting in the audience that day, heard that message and said, I need to do something about that and make things right. Check out this interview with a guy in our church. So proud. Let me introduce Roger to you. Well, Roger, happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. And uh, so thanks for joining with us. And so tell us a little bit about your family. Well, I've been married now for 32 years plus. And I've got a beautiful wife that we get along. And I've got uh, four or three kids. And I've got one stepson. And I've got 14 grandchildren. That's a big family. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, we enjoy it out here. We're getting used to the summers where I don't have to shovel snow back in Illinois. We're from. So in that, uh, we just enjoy it. Yeah. And so last year on Father's Day, I preached a message uh, called Five Things Every Child Needs to Hear. You, you remember what those yes, were? I, yes, I do. And I know that's a special message for you. And those, those were, I love you, I'm proud of you, son you're, or daughter you're good at, and fill in the blank, and then I'm sorry, and then please forgive me. And you might recall the story I, I shared with you, but I was in a neighborhood group with your son. And uh, I asked the question to the whole group. I said, uh, hey, guys, which of these um, five words do you recall being most meaningful in your life? And Tommy was the first to speak up. And he said, you know, I don't recall hearing those words. And everybody got real quiet. And then he said, until Sunday. My dad didn't say one of those. He said all of them. And the whole group broke into tears because there was a lot of folks that never heard that from their dad. And Tommy said, but he didn't just say that to me. He said it to my siblings as well. Yes. Yes. And and that brought back, Lord, help me to remember things that happened. Mm -hmm. And it, it felt like I needed to get it out to him and to the girls. It was just so hurtful that remembering what Tommy went through more 
than what the girls did. But it's all needed to be said. And you said it to everybody. I said it to everybody. And I know I heard back from your kids and they told me that they were so thankful that that message was preached, but more so that you said what you said. And so my guess is there's a lot of dads out there right now that just never, they just haven't taken that extra step to say, I love you or uh, you're good at, or I'm proud of you. And then much more, how hard is it to say, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. So was that difficult for you? It was, like I say, when I, when you were talking about it, it brought up this special thing that Tommy went through. I mean, yes, the girls gone through it too, but theirs wasn't as bad as what Tommy's was. Hmm. And I just made me think of it that I didn't tell them enough because I wasn't with them later until because they moved out here mm -hmm. and I'm back in Illinois so we didn't get to see each other that much and just talking on the phone you don't you don't think about these things as much sure you say you love them and everything else but getting together with them helps them yeah not just them but you well, I'm glad you took that step of courage because it, it restores and it redeems so much. And it also, you know, one of the things that I've noticed and seen is that in the Christian life, the, the, the spiritual growth doesn't stop at a certain age. I mean, God can begin to work in somebody's life and heart in a new and fresh way, regardless of the season or the age or the time that's passed. And I know what you did is you set a new standard for so many dads and for your kids as well, that when they age, that they will repeat those five important words. And I know that's gonna make a bigger impact and a greater legacy. And now you're taking steps to impact and encourage your kids and their grandkids and now great grandkids. Right. What, a, what a generational legacy. Well, hey guys, listen, the reality is, is that a father plays a incredible uh, force of good or evil. And the reality is, is that God has designed all of our societies based on these families. It's at the, at the heart of a community is a home. And uh, at the heart of a home is a, a husband and a wife and a family. And so today, what I want to do is I want to jump into the scriptures. We're going to close out Ephesians. We're finally going to do that today. And I've titled this message, The Encouragement from the Father. And I'll share with you more about that in just a minute. But let's just go ahead and jump into the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 uh, through 24. It says this, So, and the Apostle Paul's closing out his letter, He's writing to encourage these folks, and he's wrapping up this letter. He says this, So that you may also know how I am, how I am and what I'm doing, uh, Tychius, the beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Let me pause just for a moment and introduce to you Tychius. 
Uh, Tychius is a, a ministry companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, his name is mentioned in the book of Acts, Colossians, Titus, uh, 2 Timothy, and he was likely the one who carried this letter uh, he, he was a, uh, that we see in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, as a reminder, is in Rome writing to the church in Ephesus, which he helped start, has put in charge of that church, Timothy, his protege, which I'll tell you more about in a minute, and then he brings uh, Tychius, he sends Tychius to deliver this letter, which would, would have been read in a church setting in the church in Ephesus, uh, where kids and, and, and teenagers and moms and dads and uh, business leaders, political leaders, soldiers, construction workers, everybody's gathered there together from all different ethnicities, walks of life, this crazy melting pot city in Ephesus. There's this beautiful church that's known for their love for one another, that's known for their doctrinal clarity. And the Apostle Paul is going to send Tychius to share with them how things are going. He, in much realm, in much, many senses, is a father of the faith. And today we're going to learn about some encouragement about him. And so, as the Apostle Paul has been chained up in Rome, uh, he's had plenty of time on his hands, and he would have written this letter. Um, some believe that Tychius could have been a scribe for the Apostle Paul, um, as many others were, and then carried this letter from Rome over to uh, Ephesus. So today, you and I have email. Uh, today, we can send a message instantly through a text message, a tweet, or through email. But let me help remind you how mail was sent back then. Um, when Paul would send this letter from Rome to Ephesus, there are some things that you ought to take into consideration. First of all, is realize that the emperor Augustus had established a regular postal system in the empire to handle all of the government mail. Um, there was, it was, the roadways were paved by uh, Rome, in a sense weren't paved in the sense that we have today, but much of uh, the early uh, ancient history that we owe in the roadways is, is to Rome. And so uh, the uh, Emperor Augustus regularly had a postal system working on his behalf. If you were rich and working with the government, you had access to mail systems. If you were poor, didn't have as much money, you had a very difficult time getting a message uh, uh, far. There was a relay system where there would be a, a dispatch were, uh, were passed and hand-to-hand -hand along a series uh, of messengers in a manner kind of similar to the, that of the Pony Express in the American West that we might have heard or might have seen or read about, um, where we understand where it would people would be posted up at different geographical locations. When the Apostle Paul writes this letter, it's sent by one guy. That's a long journey, not a series of messengers. But this would allow uh, messages to be passed along at a rate of about 50 miles a day. That's if you've, uh, in the emperor setting, you have uh, many uh, individuals posted up to help carry on a message. Uh, for those like uh, uh, Tychius and others, it would take perhaps uh, 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 even more uh, time per day. Most often, though, sending a letter depended on the availability of someone traveling in the right direction. In other words, you just kind of hope that somebody's going in that direction and then you could give them a message. 
One could never guarantee that such a letter, letter would ever arrive. This is why in the New Testament, you, you hear a scholarly uh, discussion about lost letters in our New Testament because so much of it, of this communication system was dependent upon people traveling long distance of time in dangerous environments at times. So Paul, however, he had a group of young Christian men and women that kind of formed an alliance to help him get the message out. In today's world, the preacher, the teacher has the internet. We can fill uh, the uh, the internet streets with the gospel instantaneously. The Apostle Paul would be using the Roman roadway system to help disseminate information to different churches in different geographical locations. So Paul had these men and women that would help serve him, aid him in this. Um, and these guys were more than mailmen. Uh, they supplied an oral communication report, interpreting the letter, kind of supplementing some of its information, and perhaps giving confidential uh, matters or personal matters and updates. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that he's going to send uh, uh, Tychius and he's going to tell you everything. The Apostle Paul was incredibly transparent. He's got a father's heart, loves his children of the faith. He's going to say, He's going to tell you everything. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, and I'm doing some research this week to think about how long this must have taken. A letter from Rome to Ephesus, uh, according to my calculations, would have taken at least 67 days or more to deliver this letter. It's walking at least eight hours a day, covering some 1,500 miles on foot, and that is no day of rest. So 67 days, eight hours a day, covering more than 1,500 miles on foot. Every year, um, uh, when we're lucky, my wife and I load up the car and we travel about 1,300 miles away from Phoenix to Little Rock, Arkansas to visit family and friends. It takes us about 22, 23 hours of driving and people say, man, that's a long time. Imagine what it would have been like back in the Apostle Paul's day. Tychius is no wimp. He's going to go 67 days at minimum without a single day of rest traveling in to deliver this letter. It must have been some important letter. And so what? It, this is more than two months of travel. And the hope is, is that you don't get stuck in a storm, that you don't get robbed, that you don't run out of food, that you don't run out of water, that you have good shoes on, or they don't wear out. And so it's this reality. The Apostle Paul is bringing this message to us for a purpose. So let's find out what that purpose is. Apostle Paul sends Tychius, and he says this in verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. What you're going to learn today is encouragement from the Father's heart. He wants to encourage the church in Ephesus in four key themes that he's been writing about in all of Ephesians that are some of the most essential things for the Christian life. And he sees these from a, the father of faith perspective. He says this, verse 23, peace, mark that in your Bibles if you've got a Bible out. He says, peace be to the brothers and love 
mark that word love, with faith, mark that word faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice all of that comes from God. Like I said earlier last week, that truth derives from God himself, the character and the nature of who God is. God is peaceful. God is loving. God is faithful. And then he says this in verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So what I want to do is before we move any further is I want to establish this concept that this is encouragement from the Father. Not the Heavenly Father, but the Father of faith. If you've been in an Anglican environment or a, a Catholic environment, um, when you refer back to a pastor or a priest who has a, maybe a higher ranking or authority, you call him Father. And the reason why you do that is because um, what we see in Scripture is that these spiritual leaders that lead other people are considered to be fathers of the faith and their disciples are children of the faith. I want to introduce to you a, a man by the name of Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul loved this guy. Um, and so it says in 1 Timothy 1-2, we get a little backstory on Timothy. He's there in Ephesus, but here he writes him particularly on another occasion. And look how he describes Timothy. He says in, in Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my true child, in the faith. So it's not his biological child. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from where? From God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perhaps the most excited guy in all of the congregation to receive news from uh, Rome would be Timothy. That was a father of the faith. What do we know about Timothy? 2 Timothy uh, 1.5 tells us a little bit about his family background. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He had a sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's name uh, means one who honors God. This is a faithful man. Um, he had a generation of uh, a couple of generations before him of family members that loved and followed the Lord Jesus. They knew him. They loved him and they lived for him. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, does not mention his dad. Perhaps Timothy had an absent dad and the Apostle Paul steps in and serves as a father like many of you men do for others in our church, through our kids' ministry, you step in and you're serving as a spiritual father to these kids. And the Bible tells us um, there's uh, about Timothy and church history tells us about Timothy. So I want to elaborate just a little bit more about Timothy so you can see when these words are coming across at the very end of the apostle's letter to the church in Ephesus, as Timothy, as the pastor whom the Apostle Paul ordained as a minister of the gospel, left him in Ephesus to pastor that new church, how much is coming through this text in a contextual understanding as a father of faith? So first, you need to know um, Timothy was born in what's now called modern-day Turkey. His mother was Jewish, uh, who became a Christian. His father was Greek, 
but little is known about him. Much speculation is, is that he died or, or left the family. Um, during his life, he became a, a son to the Apostle Paul. They met on Paul's second missionary journey. He served as a companion, a co-worker. He helped start and strengthen churches throughout Asia, Europe, Middle East. Um, they traveled together. They ministered together. They ate together. They laughed together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They studied the scriptures together. They wrote together. They worked together. They suffered together. They were imprisoned together. Timothy was eventually appointed as a bishop, an overseer of a, a regional church in the city of Ephesus that would minister and strengthen and help start other churches throughout uh, his uh, region. So he was named a bishop and oversaw many churches. He was responsible for starting and strengthening many churches with an apostolic extended authority, if you will. Um, church history records about him that he died for his faith. He served to the age of about 80 years old. He was still strong in his faith at 80. I think about uh, for my, my lifetime calling, I, when I asked the Lord, God, what do you want to do with me? He told me to uh, plant a church and pastor it your whole life. Give everything you can to one church. Don't move around. Just stay put. And this is much of the kind of ministry that the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, this pastor, uh, Timothy, did for his people in Ephesus. He, he served faithfully in the Lord's work 80 years, and he was still strong in his faith and willing to fight the faith, as the Apostle Paul called him to. And, and church history records on one event, uh, Ephesus being this crazy, uh, religious, diversity diverse city. Many worshipped uh, the goddess Diana um, and would, would, would gather in droves of people uh, for pagan worship. And Timothy, being compelled to try to stop many people, perhaps people from, uh, that are, were new to the faith or that he was witnessing to, try to stop what would be organized as a, a mob moving down the streets, and he tries to stop them. Church history records that he was run over, he was beat, mocked, and ultimately killed in the streets of Ephesus, uh, trying to prevent this from happening. And the reality is, is that Timothy is what the Apostle Paul would call a good soldier of the faith. And he is loved today by many. His teaching still holds powerful influence on millions of Christians. And the one man that had the most influence on Timothy's life is the Apostle Paul. And these four things that we're going to hear are four encouragements that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Ephesus, but within mind, his son in the faith. And so today we hear four encouragement uh, from, the, from the father of faith. The first is this, is that, we are to live in peace. When the Apostle Paul said in verse 23, peace be to the brothers, he's talking about that you and I need to live in peace. That means positionally, you and I as Christians, we need to claim the peace that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians tells us in chapter two that for he himself is our peace, that is Jesus, and who made us, he made something in us. 
He made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What was going on in Ephesus is racial tension, ethnic diversity, Jews, Gentiles. The Apostle Paul comes in and says there's neither Jew, no Gentile. There's no free, no slave. There is only one in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and it's just as true for them as it is true for us, that you and I as Christians, we've got to live in peace. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made peace. He made something for us. He's a maker. The Bible says is in Genesis that he, made, he was a part of all of the creation of all the world. Let us make, let us make man in our image. Not only does he make man, but he makes peace for man. And you and I need to realize that we have a peace. And the Apostle Paul says, be at peace. As a father of the faith, he wants to see his kids living in peace. As a dad myself, I want to see my kids living in peace. I want shalom in the home, the Old Testament uh, idea. I want peace in the Middle East. I want to have peace when I come home. And as a father, the Apostle Paul saying, don't riot, don't rage, don't fight each other. Let the church be an influence for the entire city to be a place of peace. Let there be shalom. God's peace, the peace that he's made through the person and the work of Jesus Christ that can bring a Jew and a Gentile together from different ethnicities, regardless of education, regardless of economics, you can have unity in the midst of diversity. You and I as Christians, a word from the Father is live in peace. And I say in because it's in Christ. And as a Christian, you've got to claim that peace in Christ. He's made it. He's, he's broken down the hostility, the dividing wall in his flesh. When Jesus went to the cross, he sent a message to the whole world that you can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You can have peace with other believers according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, regardless of any differences that they may have. The encouragement the Apostle Paul gives us is this peace. The word peace means in Greek is irene, and it means to be at peace, don't worry, but live at peace with others. This phrase occurs, this uh, is found nowhere else in the New Testament when he says, peace be to the brothers. What he's saying is in the church, for the Christians, the men and the women, there needs to be peace. The church needs to be a bit of the, uh, the cultural a catalyst for society around us. What happens in the church, uh, we need to be able to let that emanate throughout our community. That's when Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. You're a light. You're a culture within a culture. You're supposed to permeate and penetrate and bring light and revelation and understanding and wisdom and insight into every arena of life, whether it be sociology or politics or economics or um, humanity and the good of society. That's what we are supposed to do. So the Apostle Paul says, live in peace. 
And that word to maintain this peace, Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, meaning you and I need to continually, consistently work to maintain this peace, and it's not an easy thing to do. Lastly, we're called to pursue peace. The Apostle Paul in Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Um, So many times you you can find yourself uh, uh, being a person who doesn't create peace, uh, but breaks peace. And uh, the reality is, is that we can create a war with just a word. Whatever we tweet Whatever we say can create peace or it can create a war. God's called us to live at peace and to pursue making peace. Be conscientious about what you write on Facebook. Be conscientious about what you tweet or text or email. Be in a commitment to realize that the word of the Father from the Apostle Paul, the Father of faith, says live in peace, maintain it. Be eager to pursue it. And you've already been given this peace, so help me get more of my kingdom in heaven down on earth by making peace with others. So we're called to that. From a father of the faith to this young protege, Timothy, and to this church he loves and and sees them as children in the Lord, he's saying live in peace. One of the best things that we can do for our dads um, is to live in peace. And I know my dad wants to see me live in peace with my wife, live in peace with my kids, live in peace with my staff team, wants me to live in peace in my community. He wants me to live in peace so that I can experience peace. And we do that when we know the Prince of Peace. And you and I are called to live in peace, not in war, but to live in peace. Um, when it comes to others. And secondly, we're to live in love. The Apostle Paul mentions this in verse 23 when he says um, that we're to live in love, this concept. In Ephesians, um, well, this word love, let me explain that just for a minute. But the word love means agape, or it is agape in the Greek, and it means to love, regard with affection. It has the idea that believers love the Lord Jesus Christ is to be pure, not corrupted with wrong motives or secret disloyalties. But unfortunately, what had happened, many of the Ephesians believers later will lose their fervency for Christ. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, they're going to be cited with having lost their first love. And so this word to stay in love, to keep in love, remain in love, comes as a prophetic warning for the church in Ephesus, but also for us. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. The apostle Paul said uh, this, that this was his prayer, that this in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ. You and I need to be rooted in love, grounded in love, constantly standing in love, living in love. We need to be loving people, not hateful people. Uh, We need to be people that are tenderhearted, yet tough uh, against tough issues. But we're to uh, not be passive, that's not loving. We're to be tough on tough issues, but tender 
when, when, when we are uh, needed to show empathy or sympathy. And the reality is, is that the uh, Apostle Paul challenges us, and this is his prayer, that we'd be rooted and established in love. This is the mark of true Christianity, according to uh, Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul said that there are marks of a Christian, and one of the greatest marks is that of love. Jesus said the same thing in, his, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, verse 35, that love is to characterize us. This is why the Apostle Paul says that we're to live in this love, and he prayed for that. He also spoke about that love in the life of Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says this. It says, let no one despise you for your youth. He was a young guy. He says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Um, the, uh, P, uh, the apostle uh, Timothy it was supposed to set an example uh, for love. Question is, is how is your example? Would people characterize you as a loving person? Um, you and I as Christians uh, need to heed the words of a father of the faith for every uh, uh, believer, and that is to live in love uh, with one another and live in love with God. And the word of set examples, and uh, the Apostle Paul told us that we're like ambassadors. And so uh, we should... Uh, champion. We serve as royal representatives of God's peace, and we should serve as royal representatives as God's love to the world around us as well. Um, the Father's heart doesn't stop there. He also talks about how to, we're to live the faith. In verse 23, he mentions that it's with faith, and it comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this reality of faith, uh, the Greek word is pistis, and it means uh, to believe to the extent of complete trust. It's an absolute, complete trust in. Um, many of you have seen before those, the concept of like a, 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 faith, a, a faith fall or a trust fall, where you stand and you're, you can't see behind you, and you're to fall back and, and trust in that you're going to be caught uh, by people. Um, that's a good illustration in the sense of so much of the Christian faith, you're depending on, banking on, that God has got you, that you're going to just take a step in faith. You can't answer every single question. You just have to do it. For years, I served as a Colorado uh, Rocky Mountain guide, and I was uh, had a rock. I was part of a rock climbing program. We'd bring in lots of folks, and I'd uh, get them to lower themselves off the side of a, a, a very large cliff. And you could imagine the conversations I heard all the time. Is this rope gonna hold me? Have you checked it? How do you know these knots are good to go? I mean, the ropes could hold a car. And then we've got people of a couple hundred pounds thinking that they're somehow gonna break it. And the reality is, is that we by nature don't live well in faith. It's counterintuitive. It's a supernatural thing that God works in us and through us. The Apostle Paul said in the, to the church in Rome that the whole Christian life is from faith and through faith. So it starts and ends. And the Apostle Paul as well uh, talked about it to Timothy about that we're to fight the good fight of the faith. That means our faith, the Christian faith, the historical faith of, of who Jesus is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're to live the faith. As a father wants to see his kids living in the faith, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 
to his son, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. My father wrote that Bible verse in one of my, the Bibles that he gave me and told me to fight the good fight. It's the faith. It's the Christian faith. And the father's heart is that we stand strong from generation to generation for the faith, that we live strong. I've got good news for you. Our faith is unique and different than other faiths. It is historical. It is, is there's prophecies that uh, indicate uh, an assurance of our faith from Old Testament to New Testament. There's congruency in that. Uh, there's uh, uh, archaeology that uh, helps us to verify the events that took place in these scriptures. Um, we have tons of manuscripts that verify our faith uh, more than other uh, of, uh, forms uh, in, in writings of ancient literature. Our faith is a historical faith, a unique faith, a strong faith, the largest faith, the best faith. And the Apostle Paul says, you live for that faith. The Father's heart is, is that as men and women, um, as children of the faith, we live this faith. And when our faith gets tested, we have to learn how to fight for the faith work towards it. That means you might have to uh, 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 step out into some areas and do some more study, do some more work in that regard. We're to live this faith. And then lastly, the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of living by grace. This living by grace, uh, the word grace that he uses is is in the Greek is charis, and it means favorable attitude towards someone or something of favor or goodwill. And it's interesting, the Apostle Paul concludes his letters oftentimes in mentioning grace. In Romans, it, they're called benedictions. It's kind of a concluding remarks as he closes out his letter to the church or his, uh, his letter to the church in Ephesus. He mentions this phrase, Ephesians six twenty four. Grace be with you all. He's saying to every one of you, grace be with you all. What is he wanting? He, the Father's heart is live in grace. He wants grace to be with everybody. Uh, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In other words, it is uh, for Christians uh, that they will continually and eternally uh, live by God's grace. In Romans, the Apostle Paul closed his letter uh, with grace. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. It was important. And so uh, for the Christian, you've got to understand a couple of things about this grace. One is, is that we're to live in grace, and that's part of our sanctification, growing in the process of holiness. Grace is something that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, and we can extend to other people on an ongoing basis for Christians. Remember, he's writing to Christians, and he's not writing for their salvation. He's writing for their sanctification. So this grace concept is for you and me who say, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to uh, live by this grace. And he says this to Timothy, his protege elsewhere. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where does grace come from? Grace comes from Jesus. 
Um, what do we need to do? We need to be strengthened in, in this grace. You and I need grace to make it through what we're going through. Grace is kind of like the grease that, that lubricates the wheels, the, the gears of our life. And if we're graceless, then we're going to be broken down. We, we're not going to be living the Christian life as God wants us to live the Christian life. Grace is, is a necessity. The Apostle Paul says, be strengthened by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. In other words, you've heard me preach about this gospel of grace. Uh, you, you heard me say this in front of a lot of other people. And now I want you to pass it on to other people from generation to generation. Let it be a generation of grace. So many of our homes are homes of good works when God wants them to be homes of grace. So many hearts of the Christian are hearts towards good works, trying to earn God's favor when God wants our hearts to be hearts of God's grace and extensions of God's grace. And the Father here says, I want you to uh, be strengthened by this grace. I can imagine for some of the fathers that come to a Father's Day message, they get discouraged because they feel like they've been a lousy father. I want to share with you a confession of, of one father uh, that was disappointed. And if he had the chance to go back and do it different, he would. Listen to his confession. He said, my family's all grown and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I'd do. I'd love my wife more in front of my children. I'd laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I'd listen even more, even to the littlest one and all her silly little stories. I would be more honest about my weaknesses and stop pretending to be perfect. If I could do it all over again, I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on myself and my work, I'd focus my prayers on them. I'd do more things together with my kids. I'd encourage them more to bestow more praises back to God. I'd pay more attention about the little things like the deeds and the words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately and intentionally with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened to me in every ordinary day, I would use it to direct them to God. That's what I would do if I could do it all over again. I want to encourage you, friend, that you need to be strengthened in God's grace the Apostle Paul serves as a father of the faith for all of us. And he leaves us with this last exhortation, strong encouragement to live by God's grace. That's what makes our faith different. Apostle Paul also says this, is that we're to be strengthened by his grace. And we are not only sanctified by God's grace, but we are saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Our, our whole Christian experience, our salvation, our sanctification, and one day our glorification, the common thread through it all, friends, is grace. So I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, you start today by receiving that gift of God that salvation that He offers, 
and I'm specifically talking to you men who are fathers that feel potentially that you've, you've blown it and you don't know if, if you're, you've been a good father. I want to encourage you that you can be strengthened by God's grace and that you can be saved by God's grace. So will you pray with me just for a minute? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fathers uh, that are watching this. I pray right now for those that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would do so today. I pray, God, that, that, that you would begin to heal and restore and redeem the lost years, the broken years, and that you would give them the courage to be like Roger, to make things right. Thank you, God, that you save us by your grace and that you call us to live a life of grace. As the scripture says, the righteous will live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, it's been great being with you today. I want to encourage you, if you prayed to receive Christ today, um, text us and let us know, NVYES. You text NVYES to 94090. And uh, we'd love to be able to help you get going in your Christian journey. Happy Father's Day to you guys. And I look forward to being back together soon. Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.